Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Welcome to episode 14. I'm Cam Connor along with my son Chris. We're going to dedicate this episode to Ask Cam because there's been a whole bunch of questions coming in. So we thought, why not just make a whole episode on answering the questions? Because there's quite a lot of interesting questions and questions that I want answered for myself. So we're going to look at my dad's Twitter, our email address, viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com, and get through some of your questions. So how does that sound, Dad? Ready to go. Okay, so the first one comes from your Twitter account, and it's from Luciano, and he says, I've heard a couple conflicting accounts regarding the Oilers versus Pittsburgh brawl in 1980. Can you weigh in? Well, I don't know what's conflicting, but as I remember it, there was a fellow on Pittsburgh, a defenseman that I actually played junior with in Flin Flon, who is the only guy that I ever knew who I could honestly say loves to fight. His name is Kim Claxton. Google that guy. He is unbelievable. Like, he's a good guy to have on your team because he'll go after whoever he's got to go after. He's a lefty. He's short and stocky. So he was on defense for Pittsburgh, and Gretzky was going around him, and I'm saying to myself, oh, this is going to be bad because I know Claxton. When you go around him, he is going to two-hand you. Sure enough, he whacked Gretzky, but he got him over the head or the side of the head. So Gretzky went down as if somebody shot him with a bazooka. Right away, the bench is empty, and Semenko and, and Kim Claxon square off. They fought many times before, and Semenko's got the long arms, and Clacker's got the short stubby arms, and he's a lefty. But there used to be a Canadian boxer named George Cervallo. He was probably our best heavyweight. And he'd never been knocked off his feet. And if you punch George, you just get a little red mark. You'd never cut the guy. And that's like Claxon. So they had fought five times in that bench brawl. Claxon got the worst of it. But if you look at him, he didn't look like he got hit once. And so after the fifth fight, the linesmen are in the middle of it. And they're very close to each other. And Semenko turned his head to look at something else for a second, and he was close to Claxon. He was on his tippy-toes, Claxon, and he threw a left whack. Back in our day when we played, you see today when they fight, if they ever fight, but when they do, they do like gentlemen, okay, the fight's over, and sometimes I actually can see them congratulate the other guy in a good fight, which we never would do. We would keep fighting and keep fighting, and if we had a hand free, we'd, we'd still be swinging. So, so sure enough, Claxon got up in his tippy toes. Semenko was distracted, and he threw a haymaker left and closed Semenko's eye. So the night Semenko and I went out for beer, his eye was completely shut. And if you look at Clacker, even though he lost five fights, it looks like he beat up Semenko. So I'm not sure, you know, what the controversy, you know, that. Uh, you were talking about, but that's how that's how the bench brawl got started. Is Claxon two-handed Wayne Gretzky when Wayne was going around him? 
So we ended the last podcast with you alluding to a f- being chased with, by someone with a double-bladed axe. So I'm going to interject, and that will be my question, because you can't bring that up and not discuss it. So can you talk about the axe? Well, I was waiting for some you know, listeners to say, yeah, let's do it, or no, who wants to hear that? But, okay, you want me to tell you the story? It was the off-season. I would played, well, two years now in the WHA, and I was at a, a bar, and there was some some guys that are pretty tough from my part of town in, in our local bar from our area, and there was five guys who we'd never seen before sitting there, and they were older than all of us, and they had, I couldn't even grow freaking like a beard. Uh, I didn't even have to shave then, and these guys had Fu Man. They are pretty scary-looking guys. And so they would walk up and ask girls to dance. And the girls would say, oh, no, thank you. They would grab them by the hair, pull them up to the dance floor. Well, you know, with myself, I I can't allow that to happen with me in the room. And that's why I had so many street fights growing up. And I I, I didn't want to fight that weekend. I fought too many times. So I said, I got to leave here right now. So I left the bar. And I jumped in my, I had a brand new Trans Am, always my pride and joy. And I had a fellow who was sitting with me. He was in a gang in my part of town. He was a skinny guy, about six foot one, 160 pounds. His name was Lefty. Well, the old story, reach for a rabbit and grab a bear. If you looked at this guy, you did not know. If you challenged him what you were getting into, this guy could kick your ear off. Like He was tough. And so I just said, you know what, Lefty, I got to get out of here. I just can't stick. I'll be getting in a fight. So I left, and I just got out of that environment and uh, drove around. And then I come driving by the bar, and I saw lots of people outside the the back of the bar. And so I said, "Uh uh-oh, maybe those five guys were fighting my buddies. I better get over and see what's going on. So I pulled my uh, Trans Am up, and I parked a little ways away, and I walked over. And Lefty had fought all five of these guys one at a time. And the other four of them were all bleeding and just standing there. And I walked up, and Lefty had this one guy half under the bumper of a car, like, holding him down. So I remember saying, like, nobody was punching. I said, is the fight over? And both guys said, yeah. I said, well, let go. Nobody's trusted the other guy to let go. So... I just put my foot on the guy on the bottom's head and pried the two apart. Well, the one guy who was with, you know, the other group, oh, he was the scariest looking out of all of them. He had that big black Fu Man, big boy. He started screaming and yelling. He said, you're effing going to get it. And so I, I watch him because he didn't like what I did to his buddy. So I see him walking over to the trunk of a car. So I said, okay, he's probably grabbing a tire iron. So I had a hockey stick in my Trans Am. And I got, I'd never fought guys with weapons in my life. It was always fists. But if he's pulling out a tire iron, I know I can use my hockey stick, which is a lot longer. So I said, I'm going to go get, you know, my hockey stick. As I'm walking towards my vehicle, I hear, look out. And I turn around. That guy didn't pull out a tire iron. He pulled out a double-bladed axe. And he is chasing me around the parking lot. And believe me. Nobody was going to catch me. You're chasing me with an axe? I ran. I remember my brother said to me, You ran? I can't believe you ran. I said, Are you crazy, man? Who's not going to run from somebody with an axe? 
So I'm running around. I didn't want to show him where my, I didn't want to get the hockey stick out because then he'd chop my car up. So I just ran past my car and in and out. Eventually, I ran past his buddies towards my group of buddies, and he was coming by, and his friends tackled him. And he's laying on the concrete, still swinging his axe. And so it looks like this thing was going to get out of control. And where we were standing, there was a little Volkswagen with his back window open, and they had a duffel bag full of baseball bats. So one of the guys I'm with pulls out the, the duffel bag, and he starts passing around the baseball bats. Well, they gave me one, but I didn't want to get into a fight like that, so I passed it off to somebody else. And, and as it worked out, you know, everybody kind of calmed down. But those five guys, they said to my group of guys, you guys are friggin' dead. And we're coming back tomorrow night with some of our friends, and you guys are going to get it. So then they buggered off. So I hooked up with Roddy Piper later that night. I said, man, you should see what happened. And I said, they're coming back tomorrow night to the bar. I said, I'm not going to be there. He goes, yeah, we can, we'll go there. I said, are you kidding me? He said, nah, we can take those guys. And Rod could always talk me into doing shit like that. So I said, well, okay. So we go back the next night. I was a little bit nervous because there wasn't one of my other buddies, just me and Piper there. And thank God, none of those guys showed up. So uh, I think Rod and I, we would have got pounded pretty good. Did you ever run into that group again? Hell no. If I did, I'd sneak out the other side. Because, again, you want to have a street fight, so be it. But you start pulling weapons out, that's getting a little goofy. This is a long email, but it's complimentary, so I will read it. And we do appreciate it for sure. It's from Tommy T. So he starts with the question first, and then he ends with the compliment. So hopefully you don't forget the question, but I can repeat it. It says, Cam, love the podcast. As a guy who played junior hockey in Manitoba for a few years, it's great to hear about the previous generation's experiences, the players they played with or against. Do you have any stories about your time in junior with Flinflon or St. Boniface? What were the league's organizations like in those days? Any players you played with that were standouts that you knew for sure were going to the next level. And he continues, On another note, when I describe the podcast to people, I recommend it to. I cannot say enough about you as a person. Scrappers sometimes wear their on-ice persona off-ice as well. But clearly from listening to your story about your Habs teammates getting your name on the cup, you're a guy that earned respect on and off the ice. Stories about Gretzky and Howe are awesome, but if it's coming from a guy who's not credible and sounds like they are showing off, it's not genuine. You're not that guy, and it makes that much better. Fan from Winnipeg, Tom. Tom, I like you, buddy. I just come back from Winnipeg. Do you, do you remember the question? Well, I remember one of them. He wanted yeah. to know about Flin Flon and St. Boniface. So, Flin Flon... I've talked a lot about Flynn Flon. The only other thing, I mean, there's lots about Flynn Flon, but Patty Janelle was a coach there. This just came to me the other day when I was in Winnipeg, actually. He liked the tough team. I think I mentioned before, it's my first year fully in the Western Hockey League. Patty Janelle was one of the reasons that I made it in pro because of him. He gave me confidence. He named me captain of the team when there was other guys that and put in more time than I did. And as I mentioned before, I was never going to let that guy down no matter what. I didn't want him criticized because he was good to me. And I, the only thing I remember is two things about Patty Janelle. 
One is training camp, and we can talk about that. But the other thing is, is as he's trying to figure out who his captains and assistant captains are, he would take his hockey team for a walk. And we would walk and walk and walk, just a form of, you know, talking to each other and getting to know each other and a little bit of exercise. And then we stopped in the field, and he had us form a circle. And then he would call two guys into the middle to fight each other. Now, not with fists, but to throw each other around and, like, get into wrestling and see who could pin each other. So the other big guy on our team, his name was Jerry Rollins. Jerry was a big boy, and he liked to try to be a tough guy. One of the things is he didn't realize when I was, you know, in my late teens, I worked for a concrete company, and I was strong, and I wrestled every day. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I said every day in the summer. You know, they would take me the first, in my early teens, but after I started working out and working for the concrete company, I got strong, and I'd be able to take them. So wrestling was second nature. So he said, Connors, Rollins, get in the middle. And I know everybody was waiting to see what was going to happen there because they didn't really know me in flim-flon. I remember grabbing Rollins, bang, bang, flipped him over, had him down in three seconds. He didn't know what hit him in. And again, he just didn't know. I wrestled so much growing up that this is all second nature. So that's Flynn Flon. So in Winnipeg, there was a junior team that wasn't at the same level as the Western Hockey League. It was one below it. And so when I was 17 and 18, I played for St. Boniface Saints. And again, it was a junior team. There was rough hockey back then. Like it really was. It was not uncommon to have bench brawls. But I was uh, fearless. When I was 17 and 18, like I said, I hung on Piper, him and I. Stuff that we did, which I cannot really tell you in the podcast. Playing hockey, fighting on the ice, wasn't very scary to me. But I, I remember one of the stories, just because I was fortunate enough a couple of years ago, I was uh, put into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. And I don't. And that's a question coming up. Well, and I'm not saying this for bragging purposes, but one, one of the guys that was my junior coach then. He had said to me, he had mentioned, you know what I remember about you, Cam, is uh, two things. He said, one night uh, somebody did something to you on the other team, and you went to the ref and said, did you see that guy cross-check me? And the ref wasn't doing anything about it. He said, you went over, he said, and you beat this guy up, and his pants fell down. He said, you were hitting on him so hard. And then the other thing he said, that a guy was causing problems when you were on the ice in front of our bench. And he said, he was a bigger boy, older than you. He said, but he really pissed you off and that I was laying a licking on this guy. I don't remember this, but he said, and he might have been exaggerating, but he said, uh, you were, you got him down and you were pounding on him. The coach said from the bench, okay, Cam, that's enough. And I, and I wasn't stopping. So he said he had to run onto the ice and pull me off this guy. So I, I was a little crazy back in those days, but there wasn't anybody that I played on the same part of his Saints with that made it but there was a guy you know Brian Inglom he played in the Manitoba Junior League at that time and a guy named Paul Baxter for example there was a goalie named Murray Bannerman these are guys that did that real good careers I do remember Paul Baxter though and I'm not proud of this honest to God he was pretty tough and the guys on my team were afraid of him he played a tough hard-nosed game he was a good hockey player he come to play every night. We never ran into each other. So at 17, the first time we square off, I cleaned him. 
Make a long story short, I fought him, oh, I, I don't, I would say six times in two years. And he kept wanting to come back. He'd say, let's go again. And I'd say, okay. He didn't hit me six times. I, I, I beat him. And so when he wanted to fight, I was okay with it. And there's, uh, and, and the story I was going to say, and Paul had a great, way better career than me. There's one thing that I still feel bad today is my mom used to come to the games, but because I was too rough, people would always yell and boo me, and she didn't want to hear people talking about her boys, so she stopped coming. So my dad said to me, we were playing in the Winnipeg Arena, and he said, Cameron, your mother was coming to the game tonight, and of course we are playing Baxter's team. He said, you behave yourself. Don't get any problems out there. Your mom's going to be at the game. I said, I won't. I won't. So I behaved myself, even though I was... A couple of times I was ready to get into it. But Baxter was on the ice and he was pushing another guy in our team around. Who was a big boy, but the guy didn't want to fight Baxter. But Baxter was pushing it. I just happened to be there. So I went to cross-check him across the back of the shoulders when he was causing problems. And, you know, this is after the whistle went. And again, I am not proud of this. And it didn't mean to happen this way. So I went to give him a good cross-check across the shoulder pads in the back. And he just dropped his shoulders down the throat, punching this guy's head. And unfortunately, my motion was already going. And I cross-checked him across the back of the neck. And I broke my stick in two. And so I'm standing there and, and Baxter went down. And I felt so bad because that's not what I tried to do. I'm not that kind of guy. And so I could, I could, out of all the people in the rink, I could hear my dad yelling. I think I heard my mom crying. And I just remember saying, oh, dad is going to kill me tonight when I get home. So, of course, you know, I got thrown out of the game and people are booing me. And I deserve to get thrown out. But I swear to God, I did not try to do that. So I'm in the shower and Baxter's dad, the game went on. The Baxter's dad come into our dressing room because I'm in the shower. Nobody else is in there. And he comes into the shower. And he is hot. And I remember, I got no clothes on. And I'm trying to spray him with water to get him out of there. And so the trainers must have figured something out until our trainer showed up and got his dad out of there. And two days later, I don't know what it's called, a summons or a subpoena or something from his lawyer. They had sued me for assault on the ice. I think I was the first guy that that ever happened to. So let the chips fall where they may. But I looked up Baxter's phone number in the phone book and I phoned him up and he happened to answer. And I identified myself to Paul and and I was sincere. I I apologized. I said, I know you guys are, are suing me, but I just wanted you to know that I did not try to do that on purpose. And so I sincerely apologized and and I think he, he knew it was sincere. And a matter of days later, they withdrew that charge against me. So, Paul, thank you very much. And again, I'm sorry for that. So that's, that's you know, there was, like I said, there was a few guys that made it, had great careers. And that's just one of the, two of the stories that jump out about St. Boniface. But I could probably think up later more stories. So speaking of the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame, Margaret, asks what did it feel like to be inducted into the manitoba hockey hall of fame and were you surprised when you found out that you were yes and no um i was you know what an honor that is it really is i i've said before i i would like to have my career over again because i i certainly didn't 
play to my abilities. I didn't have the confidence. And so I would love to do it all over again because I know guys that, in my opinion, I was better than that had way better careers than me. So I'd like to do it all over again. But I was very pleased, you know, that I did get inducted into the, the Hall of Fame. And it, it was it was really nice. And they asked you to go up and, and to say a speech. And, and the guys ahead of me that were talking, they would go over about their career. And then they did this and then they won that. And I didn't write a speech down. They'd already talked about me and my accomplishments and what I won and so on and so forth. So I, I felt I didn't have to repeat myself. So all I did, it was, uh, and this was sincere. I just said earlier, you know, that Patty Janelle in Flin Flon. So what I did is I got up and there was about five people that I had to thank for giving me the confidence and being part of my success in getting drafted so high. And one was Rowdy Roddy Piper. He gave me confidence. He made me feel like I was, you know, I was tough and I could do anything I wanted on that ice. And unfortunately, I think he died like a month earlier or two months earlier. Otherwise, he would have been there. So I thanked Rod for all he did. I know my father, he never would just send me to the rink. He would take me to the rink. It took a while. And, you know, after years of going to the rink, all of a sudden, I fell in love with skating and being outdoors. And he didn't have to say, do you want to go? I'd just say, I'm going down to the rink. So he really put the love of the game and sports uh, by being there and taking me out and just kind of leaving by going out with me. And then, it, like I said, I took over from there. The wife, we dated since we were 15. And I know other guys that had way more ability than me. They had girlfriends. Their girlfriends would say, well, what are you going skating for? You should be with me. And my girlfriend, I'd, I wouldn't ask her. I'd tell her, I'm going skating. And she never complained. Well, sure. And then after skating, I'd walk over to her house and leave my skate stick at the back door. And I did this for years. And uh, she was a very positive influence on me. And she attended all my sports, football, baseball, soccer, all my hockey games. And she was always positive. So that was somebody else I thanked. I think that coach, his name was Al Tresser, who coached me on St. Boniface Saints. He taught me about work ethic. Oh, my God. It's 16, 17, 18. We didn't have those kind of hard practices. Until you get to junior, my God, did he work us hard. So I just realized, you know, if you don't work hard and you think you can turn it on during the game, it doesn't work that way. Practices should be so hard that when a game comes, the game is a piece of cake. And that's what he did. He worked as hard. So he started shaping my mind into, if I'm going to be anybody successful in the sports world, I'm going to have to work harder than anybody else. And I was never afraid to do it. So it was such an honor to go up and to thank these people, you know, when I got inducted to the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. So we have a lot more questions. I don't know how many we'll get through. But we do want to acknowledge our new partnership with SeatGeek, which is a really good uh, website that saves you time and money. And how it works is it searches through multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. So where we live, uh, they have a new arena, and it's supposedly one of the best in North America. It and, is the best. Yeah, you've been there. we've been there. And one of the things, though, is it's impossible to get tickets there for shows. So we're finally getting the really good acts. 
but everyone wants to go to the concerts. So what I have is SeatGeek app. I've used it quite a few times. Most recently, we talked about we went to Red Hot Chili Peppers together. I always go through SeatGeek to try and find the tickets. They really do give you the most bang for your buck. And one of the things is that they grade every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket. And while we talk about hockey, so that's our probably our go-to event that we're thinking about, uh, they do all types of sports and concerts and comedy and theater. So when you're thinking about buying your tickets, go through the SeatGeek app, and that's Seat, S-E-A-T, Geek app. And so t- for our listeners... They have a $20 promo. If you download the SeatGeek app and you enter promo code PENALTY, you will receive $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So that's a, a pretty good deal, don't you think, Dad? Anytime you can save 20 bucks, it's well worth it. So, you know, check them out. Save 20 bucks, And if it's what you had hoped it to be, keep using them. They're good. We use them. Okay, so let's go to our next question. This question was sent to us by email, and it's from Joe. He said, Cam, it would be great to hear some more stories about Howie Young. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. I thought your Howie Young stories might uh, get some people interested in that player. It got me interested. I Googled him. Again, Howie Young, he was somebody that, and you've heard the expression before with other individuals, they you know, they broke the mold after that guy. Howie was an individual who did things the way he wanted to do them, and he didn't always follow rules, and he was willing to get into trouble. He was a free thinker, and I've always been attracted to people that are free thinkers. Howie was just somebody that, he was a loner. He was good to people. He was quiet when he had something to say. It was always informative or pretty funny. And I do remember we were in Chicago O'Hara Airport traveling through, and I was with Howie. I was a rookie, and what did I know? And these, they used to have Harry Krishners that were in the airports chanting and banging drums and this and that. And they would walk right up to you, and they start talking to you, and uh, you know they they would they would just hand you a book. And so, you know, when somebody's giving you, you kind of just grab it. And then they put their hands behind their back, and they won't take the book back. And so, you know, they're trying to get you to give them some money for the book. And so I'm stuck with this book, and I'm trying to give it back to him. And how he sees this, and I'll never forget it, he come up and he said, some choice words to these guys, and he took the book out of my hand, and he just put it right back into their arms so that they, under their chest, and they had to grab it. I was he was going to drop to the ground, and he, he said, stay away from them. He said, they never take their books back. And so anyways, Howie made me laugh. But he'd take care of us rookie guys, and Howie was uh, quite a character. You mentioned that he was uh, in a few movies. Do you know how that happened? Well, you know what? That's one thing. I, I, I Howie never, I said before, he didn't talk a lot, uh, and, and he'd volunteer some things. But he wouldn't volunteer lots. If you asked him the question, he would answer it. But I, if I asked him that question, I don't know how he got into that movie. 
whenever it comes on, I, I always look for Howie. And, and I've said many times before, he was a character, and they don't make him like Howie anymore. Okay, so now you have a question from Ryan, who said on Twitter, who tweeted you at Cam Connor NHL, and he says, Hey Cam, love the show. I have a question, if you could answer it on the show. What's your take on the Kevin Bieksa, hopefully I pronounced his last name right. I can't say it either. Superman punch. And did you ever see anything like that in your era? And for anyone who missed what this punch was, it was uh, pretty pretty impactful. And you uh, retweeted it on your Twitter account. So if anyone wants to see a quick clip of the punch, they could head over to your Twitter. But... What was your thoughts on that punch, and did you see anything like that in your era? And maybe you threw a few punches that way. Well, he threw an overhand right, and this guy... So when you're throwing a right, the person you're fighting, it's his left arm that should be up in the air. He dropped his left arm, and he walked right into that punch. So his power punch is probably the right hand. And if you ever touch your chin... On both sides of your chin, you're going to feel there's a couple indentations, one on either side. If you hit a guy right in that spot, you will drop him right to their knees. And it appears that that's exactly where Kevin hit this guy from, I believe it was L.A. Kings, and he dropped him. When you're fighting out with somebody like that, usually when you've got a good fighter that you're squaring off against, if you get impatient and you say, I'm getting this, and he comes at me, that's usually when you get tagged. So you'll see most guys when they square off, they're waiting for the other guy to make that first move. I think I think he just got it wacko. He he didn't the guy in LA just dropped his arm, it was coming forward, and he got smacked right in the chin, and that's what dropped you. So I think we might have to do a part two of ask you questions because we have a lot to get through. So why don't we end on well, this? Well let me you ask me if I ever saw that before. Okay, keep going. Well, so the I would say I saw that many times because <laughs> you get guys that uh, know how to fight and they just got hit right in those certain spots that knock you out. I've seen that many times. I had a friend of mine that I'll never forget this one. His name was Mike Backman. In fact, his daughter married Jonathan Quick. He was a small forward, but he was gutsy and some big guys always wanted to fight him, but Mike, he would just slash him over the head like Mike was crazy and he'd say you want to come you want a piece of me you're going to have to get through this and so one summer Mike says Cap I want you to teach me how to fight so that summer we hit heavy bags we put the gloves on and I worked with him and I gave him what I thought were tips so first time this is on the Rangers farm team we're in Halifax which is where Mike is from so he's got his mom and dad and his sisters and his buddies and a big guy in the other team, who wasn't necessarily a tough guy, but he was a big guy, did something to Mike. So Mike throws down his sticks and gloves and center ice, and they square off. And Mike forgot everything I taught him. He leaned forward with his head and had his fist coming from behind him. Well, that guy just did bang. And he dropped Mike with one punch under the eye. It was like a cut like a fish hook. It was for 58 stitches with one punch. And this was probably, there was another guy on our farm team. His name was Steve Vickers, who played in the NHL for quite a long time. And between the two of us, we had never seen a guy cut as bad with one punch as Mike. 
And so Mike was laying on the ice and blood was spurting out and he was just like a fish on the water. And I'm sure his mom and dad were feeling pretty bad looking at their boy bleeding all over. And this cut was so bad, you could pull his cheek out and see his tongue. And just a little tip there. When you get stitches, make sure that the doctor puts in very fine thread, not big, thick, shoelace-looking things, and put in more thin sutures and put in lots, just thin next to each other. And then I was telling Mike, is we used to take vitamin E capsules and break them open, and you get liquid vitamin E. Put it on right on your stitches. And I told Mike, and Mike's a good-looking guy, and he was worried that, you know, he's going to screw up his look with his wicked scar on his face. His girlfriend said, no, that doesn't work. He said, I'm doing it. So he put that vitamin E on for 10 months straight, every day. Well, our careers, you know, eventually we parted ways. And I hadn't seen Mike for a long time. He came to Edmonton, and we hooked up, and I saw that scar. You would never believe it was 58 stitches. That vitamin E, it, oh, it healed it up so nice. It, you know, you can see he's got a scar there, but it wasn't anything like it used to look so... So don't lead with your head, and if you do get dinged and you get cut, put some vitamin E on it for a long time. So beauty secrets from Cam Connor. <laughs> so we have, we'll do our last question for this episode, and it comes from Paul, sent to you via Twitter. And he says, Cam, would you would like to hear your recollections of scoring that late playoff goal for Rangers to beat Philly at the old Spectrum? So you're known for the Montreal double overtime goal, but you also scored a really important uh, Rangers playoff goal, which is what I'm assuming he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I've talked about it in one of our other podcasts. But in, in short, basically what it was is we had played uh, Philadelphia Flyers, and they had a lot of tough boys on their team. They brought me up from the farm team. I didn't, I didn't play. I don't even remember. I think I dressed, but I might have got maybe a shift. And the first two games would be in Madison Square. And I think we ended up, I don't know if we won them both or, or, or we won one. But we had to go back to their rink, to fill into the spectrum. And I remember the morning skate. And he said, yeah, I guess we did lose some games. And he said, Cam, you know, Herbrook said, you know, we lost some games. Both games or one game. And he said, it wasn't your fault. You didn't play very much, so don't you worry about it. You're in the lineup tonight. And and I thought that was wonderful because it's usually the foot soldiers who hardly play at all, and uh, the stars get all the ice time. And yet, when they got to change things up, it's the foot soldiers they change up, not the guys that get in all the ice time. So I was very pleased that he acknowledged that uh, I was still going to be in the lineup. So that first period in Philly... It was rough, as you know it's going to be. And Craig Patrick put together a team, and the fans called them the Smurfs. They weren't very big at all. We had a couple big players, but they didn't really play like big players. We had a couple of the Finns and some other guys that come back to the bench, and they said they got spirit and they couldn't play anymore, so who's left but me? And I... I was dying to get out there. The guys on Philly, I'd fought them all before. I knew those guys, and they knew what I could do. So I played with confidence, and I and I seemed to do well in the playoffs. I don't know why. A new me shows up in the playoffs. 
I got a regular shift from uh, like the second and third period and did well and we were down after the first and then we tied her up and so there was like a minute to go in the game and we're, I think the score was 3-3. Three, three. Herb Brooks, he put me out. He showed confidence in the last minute of the game. Usually the coaches would uh, put on their key guys that have been there all year long so it's unusual that you bring somebody from the farm team and keep them on the ice in that last minute when the game's tied and it's a playoff game. But he kept me out there. He showed the confidence. And make a long story short, I went in there and I fought this guy named Fred Arthur a couple years before. He was with Hartford Whaler. He was their first draft choice. He's like 6'5", a big boy. And he cross-checked me from behind in an exhibition game with Hartford. And I uh, went until the whistle went, and we squared off. And he didn't know that I knew how to fight, and he didn't know when he squared off because he came right out of junior. And, oh, I dropped that guy pretty good, and uh, they had to help him off the ice. So Freddie remembered me. He was on the ice in that last minute. He plays for the Flyers now. And so instead of him coming to take my body, he was a little bit nervous of me, I believe. And so he kind of stuck his stick out when I got the puck versus going ahead and taking my body. And that little split second that I had extra time, you know, you learn after many years of playing certain things around the net because you do something and then the goalie stops it and you say, why didn't I just lift it? So I remembered my lessons. I got the puck. Pete Peters went sprawling across to block it and I lifted it high under the top of the net and roofed it. Scored the winning goal with a minute. We won that playoff game. It was a big game, and as I said on my other podcast, they put me on the air in Philly, and they were talking about that big goal. It wasn't my biggest goal ever, and what I said to them was, you know what, if it gets me out of the minors, it's my biggest goal. So that was that was an enjoyable game, and it was nice to be a hero for 15 minutes. Okay, well, keep the questions coming at Cam Connor NHL on Twitter or view from the penalty box at gmail.com. We still have a bunch that we didn't get to today, but we promise you that over the next few podcasts, we definitely will. So until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam.